When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The poem says, Human voices wake us, and we drown. But I've made this podcast with the belief that human voices are what we need. And so, whether from a year or 3,000 years ago, whether poetry or prose, whether fiction or diary or biography, here are the best things we have ever thought, written, or said. So I've spent a lot of episodes here on a handful of poets that I really love, just going through all of their work. Uh, the first was Robinson Jeffers. The second was reading a ton of poems from a book by Laurie Sheck called The Willow Grove. Over the summer, I went through the book or the work of Seamus Heaney. And in a few days or so, I will finish up with the reading that I've been planning to do with the poet Ted Hughes. And so it seems worthwhile, especially as the new year is coming up, to try something else, to try a different way of presenting poetry here. And I came up with a bit of fun that I think will work. And I think that what it will be, the structure of it for now anyway, will be to read five poems from five different people. And usually uh, the the order will be a, a poem from the 20th or the 21st century, a poem from the 19th century, a poem from the 17th, a poem from the 16th century. And we'll just see uh, what comes of all of this. Uh, actually, I think it'll be probably two poems from the 16th or 17th century, or whatever, however it works out. Um, this will be a different way of doing things and always working backwards to hear the more familiar voice from the 20th or the 21st century. And then by the end of it, hearing what poetry sounded like in the 15, uh, 15 or 1600s. And the very first one that I want to read here comes from Ed Edgar Lee Masters, his wonderful book that came out uh, just about a century ago now called The Spoon River Anthology. Uh, it's an amazing little book, and uh, the conceit of it is that uh, the poems are the epitaphs found in the uh, found in the graveyard. And this one poem, the first one I'm going to read here, is called. Let's see, it's called Minerva Jones. This is the epitaph for Minerva Jones, and at least for me. This is the perfect kind of poem for me that justifies the existence of free verse, at least for me. It's the kind of thing that if you uh, took away the line breaks and just made it into one long or two short paragraphs of prose, it wouldn't have the same punch. And um, it's just immensely moving in its complete and utter 
pathos and plain spokenness. This is called Minerva Jones. I am Minerva, the village poetess, hooted at, jeered at by the yahoos of the street, for my heavy body, cock-eye and rolling walk, and all the more when Butch Weldy captured me after a brutal hunt. He left me to my fate with Dr. Myers, and I sank into death, growing numb from the feet up, like one stepping deeper and deeper into a stream of ice. Will someone go to the village newspaper and gather into a book the verses I wrote? I thirsted so for love. I hungered so for life. Actually, I think that's worth reading again. Minerva Jones. I am Minerva, the village poetess, hooted at, jeered at by the yahoos of the street for my heavy body, cock-eye and rolling walk, and all the more when Butch Weldy captured me after a brutal hunt. He left me to my fate with Dr. Myers, and I sank into death, growing numb from the feet up, like one stepping deeper and deeper into a stream of ice. Will someone go to the village newspaper and gather into a book the verses I wrote? I thirsted so for love. I hungered so for life. And for those who would look on a poem like that, or if they have a copy of um, Spoon River Anthology at hand, and would see it sort of as corny, if, if a poem about a botched abortion and a rape can be called corny, um, or unsophisticated. Uh, I know that uh, the uh, that Eliot's Wasteland, with the um, the monologue about uh, about the bar closing soon, also brings up the topic of abortion. Um, I don't really see the supposed sophistication of Eliot's way of handling it as being any more human or anything else, really, than this poem. It's just a, a wonderful, uh, tragic little thing here. The next poem, when I should give, I should give his dates. I'm going to try as best I can to give the dates of these poets. Uh, Edgar Lee Masters lived from 1868 until 1950. And now a poem that probably many people out there have heard, and I want to get his dates as well. This is by uh, Alfred Tennyson, and his dates are 1809 to 1892, and this is his wonderful poem called Ulysses, and it's a nice poem to come after Masters to see uh, the plain spokenness of Masters and the heightened uh, blank verse, the, uh, the heightened iambic of, of Tennyson, and to see the, the value of both, depending on what your subject matter is, or just of how it is that you want to put it. And this, of course, is Odysseus, uh, or Ulysses, in his, in his uh, 
Roman name and his Latin name, uh, deciding that it is time to set off again. He's come back from the adventures of the Odyssey. He's grown a bit old, and uh, he doesn't want to hang around home anymore. He wants to go off again, and this is what it says. It little profits an idle king by this still hearth among these barren crags, matched with an aged wife, I meet and dole unequal laws unto a savage race that hoard and sleep and feed and know not me. I cannot rest from travel. I will drink life to the lees. All times I have enjoyed greatly, have suffered greatly, both with those that loved me and alone. On shore and when through scudding drifts the rainy Hyades vex the dim sea. I am become a name, for always roaming with a hungry heart, much have I seen and known. Cities of men and manners, climates, councils, governments, myself not least, but honored of them all, and drunk delight of battle with my peers, far on the ringing plains of windy Troy. I am a part of all that I have met, yet all experience is an arch where through gleams that untraveled world, whose margin fades forever and forever when I move. How dull it is to pause, to make an end, to rust unburnished, not to shine in use, as though to breathe were life. Life piled on life were all too little, and of one to me little remains, but every hour is saved from that eternal silence something more, a bringer of new things. And vile it were for some three sons to store and hoard myself, and this gray spirit yearning in desire to follow knowledge like a sinking star beyond the utmost bound of human thought. This is my son, my known Telemachus, to whom I leave the scepter and the isle, well loved of me, discerning to fulfill this labor by slow prudence to make mild a rugged people, and through soft degrees subdue them to the useful and the good. Most blameless is he, centered in the sphere of common duties, decent not to fail in offices of tenderness, and pay meet adoration to my household gods when I am gone. He works his work, I mine. There lies the port, the vessel puffs her sail, there gloom the dark broad seas, my mariners souls that have toiled and wrought and thought with me, that ever with a frolic welcome took the thunder and the sunshine, and opposed free hearts, free foreheads. You and I are old. Old age hath yet his honor and his toil. Death closes all. But something ere the end, some work of noble note may yet be done, not unbecoming men, that strove with gods. The lights begin to twinkle from the rocks, 
The long day wanes, the slow moon climbs, the deep moans round with many voices. Come, my friends, tis not too late to seek a newer world. Push off, and sitting well in order, smite the sounding furrows. For my purpose holds to sail beyond the sunset, and the baths of all the western stars, until I die. It may be that the gulfs will wash us down, it may be we shall touch the happy isles, and see the great Achilles whom we knew. Though much is taken, much abides. And though we are not now that strength which in old days moved earth and heaven, that which we are, we are, one equal temper of heroic hearts, made weak by time and fate, but strong in will to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield. That is just still miraculous. Um, I was thinking about that as I read it, that uh, it is sort of the on the road of the mid-19th century. I remember not really becoming that attached to uh, Kerouac when I was 18 or 19 or 20, but definitely getting the travel bug from a poem like that from Tennyson. The next one is from the early 1800s, and it's by a poet named Mary Robinson, and she lived from 1758 to 1800. And, oh, actually, yes, the, the editor says this poem was written in 1794, and this is called A London Summer Morning. This is by Mary Robinson. Who has not waked to list the busy sounds of summer morning in the sultry smoke of noisy London? On the pavement hot, the sooty chimney boy with dingy face and tattered covering shrilly hawks his trade, rousing the sleepy housemaid. At the door the milk pail rattles, and the tinkling bell proclaims the dustman's office while the street is lost in clouds impervious. Now begins the din of hackney coaches, wagons, carts, while tin men's shops and noisy trunk makers, knife grinders, coopers, squealing cork cutters, fruit barrows, and the hunger-giving cries of vegetable vendors fill the air. Now every shop displays its very trade, and the fresh sprinkled pavement cools the feet of early walkers. At the private door the ruddy housemaid twirls the busy mop, annoying the smart prentice or neat girl, tripping with bandbox lightly. Now the sun darts, burning splendor and the glittering pane, save where the canvas awning throws a shade on the gay merchandise. Now spruce and trim in shops, where beauty smiles with industry, sit the smart damsel, while the passenger peeps through the window, watching every charm. Now pastry dainties catch the eyes minute of hummy insects, 
where the slimy snare waits to enthrall them. Now the lamplighter mounts the slight ladder, nimbly venturous to trim the half-filled lamp, while at his feet the potboy yells discordant. All along the sultry pavement, the old clothesman cries in tone monotonous, and sidelong views the area for his traffic. Now the bag is slyly opened, and the half-worn suit, sometimes the pilfered treasure of the base domestic spoiler, for one half its worth, sinks in the green abyss. The porter now bears his huge load along the burning way, and the poor poet wakes from busy dreams to paint the summer morning. And even though I've been doing this for a long time, reading poetry, writing poetry, and now reading poetry out loud, I am still struck that something written in 1794 uh, is basically uh, lucid and intelligible in, uh, in an astonishing way. Um, all you would have to do is change the details of the street and the occupations, the, uh, the sounds, the sentences, uh, the basic way of describing the street in poetry, in verse, is something that could easily be written today. And you might say more poetry like this should be written today. Now we go even further back. And this is a poem by Sir Henry Wotton. One of the one of the people, uh, for better or worse, uh, put under the uh, put under the uh, title of a metaphysical poet. Let's see if I can find his. For some reason, this book does not give their dates, but it does say that this poem uh, that I'm about to read uh, was published was first printed in 1651. This is called A Hymn to My God in a Night of My Late Sickness. And it says this. O thou great power, in whom I move, for whom I live, to whom I die, behold me through thy beams of love, whilst on this couch of tears I lie, and cleanse my sordid soul within, by thy Christ's blood, the bath of sin. No hallowed oils, no grains I need, no rags of saint, no purging fire. One rosy drop from David's seed was worlds of seas to quench thine ire. O precious ransom, which once paid, that consummatum est was said, and said by him that said no more, but sealed it with his sacred breath. Thou then that hast dispunged my score, And dying wast the death of death, Be to me now, on thee I call, My life, my strength, my joy, my all. Be to me now, I'm repeating this, that's not in the poem. Be to me now, on thee I call, My life, my strength, my joy, my all. 
Again, I remember someone asking me after my conversion to Judaism, uh, would I still uh, read all the stuff about uh, uh, New Testament history, Christian history? And I said, of course I would. Why wouldn't I still be interested in that? And why wouldn't I still be interested in a poem like this? Not just for what it says and says beautifully, but also what it says... Um, about religion at the time, no hallowed oils, no grains I need, grains being the rosary, no rags of saints, no purging fire. Um, there we are, there is the politics of religion at the time. From Sir Henry Wotton. And the last poem will come from Sir Walter Raleigh. And let's see. Yeah, this one does have the potted biographies at the end. Sir Walter Raleigh lived from 1552 to 1618. And this is his poem called The Lie. Um, as some of you out there may know, it's uh, a bit of color to know about before you uh, read the poem. Um, he was given a royal patent for colonization in North America and journeyed after that to Virginia and Guyana, although he was imprisoned in 1592 for marrying a royal maid of honor against Queen Elizabeth's will. And then James I, after Queen Elizabeth's death, imprisoned him in 1603 for allegedly conspiring against his succession. Sir Walter Raleigh's book, The History of the World, published in 1614, which became immensely popular, was published from prison. Uh, and, and I'm pretty sure he didn't, I think he made it until the time of Alexander. He didn't quite finish his history of the world. Uh, he was released to take part in an expedition to Orinoco in 1616, but the mission was a failure and he broke a promise not to attack the Spanish. When he came home to England uh, in 1618, he was executed uh, and beheaded. So, Sir Walter Raleigh. This is his poem called The Lie. And just for those who um, are interested, uh, the, the book I'm reading from here for, for Raleigh's poem is the Penguin Book of Renaissance Verse. Uh, the dates they give for the Renaissance are 1509 to 1659. And unlike other books that publish poetry from this period, the spelling is not updated in this edition. And I thought that that would make the reading of it uh, quite difficult, uh, or more so. But it actually is not true. Uh, it was actually a great joy to read these old spellings of things. Um, let me see if I can find an example of that before I read the poem. Uh, all, all the, uh, all the unnecessary letters to our, uh, to our mind that it takes to spell a simple word. Here's, here's a good example. Um, since you didn't have, since spelling was not, um, codified by then, uh, Sir Walter Raleigh spells the word niceness, N-Y-C-E-N-E-S-S-E, -S -S -E, which is very, very nice. Uh, so this is his poem called The Lie by Sir Walter Raleigh. 
Go, soul, the body's guest, upon a thankless errand. Fear not to touch the best, the truth shall be thy warrant. Go, since I needs must die, and give the world the lie. Say to the court it glows and shines like rotten wood. Say to the church it shows what's good and doth no good. If church and court reply, then give them both the lie. Tell potentates they live, acting by others' action. Not loved unless they give, not strong but by affection. If potentates reply, give potentates the lie. Tell men of high condition that manage the estate, their purpose is ambition, their practice only hate. And if they once reply, then give them all the lie. Tell them that brave it most, they beg for more by spending, who in their great cost seek nothing but commending. And if they make reply, then give them all the lie. Tell zeal it wants devotion, tell love it is but lust, tell time it meets but motion, tell flesh it is but dust, and wish them not reply, for thou must give the lie. Tell age it daily wasteth, tell honor how it alters, tell beauty how she blasteth, tell favor how it falters. And as they shall reply, give every one the lie. Tell wit how much it wrangles, and tickle points of niceness. Tell wisdom she entangles, herself in overwiseness. And when they do reply, straight give them both the lie. Tell physic of her boldness. Tell skill it is prevention. Tell charity of coldness, tell law it is contention. And as they do reply, so give them still the lie. Tell fortune of her blindness, tell nature of decay, tell friendship of unkindness, tell justice of delay. And if they will reply, then give them all the lie. Tell arts they have no soundness, but vary by esteeming, tell schools they want profoundness, and stand too much on seeming. If arts and schools reply, give arts and schools the lie. Tell faith that's fled the city, tell how the country erreth, tell manhood shakes of pity, tell virtue least prefereth. And if they do reply, spare not, to give the lie. So, when thou hast, as I, commanded thee done blabbing, because to give the lie deserves no less than stabbing, stab at thee, he that will, no stab thy soul can kill. And again, this is a poem now 400 years or so old and still has great music, great power, um, and is quite haunting. My favorite line, at least, is straight give them both the lie. Uh, you think of poetry 400 years ago as being uh, very tied up and very prim and proper, but
but that is a good sense of the vernacular that breaks in. And when they do reply straight, give them both the lie. Um, a great thing from Walter Raleigh. And just a bonus here, I won't always do this because I won't always have uh, something to read. Uh, but last year, I wrote a poem about Walter Raleigh and just want to share it here because it is a small one. And it's called The Historian. And I guess just for personal reasons, it strikes me as being important. And so I wanted to share it here. It was sort of my way back into writing uh, certain kinds of short poems. And this is my poem about Raleigh called The Historian. As I recline in the bath and read about Raleigh, snow from the window settles in the steaming water, a languor far distant from his internment in the tower, where he wrote his history of the world, to the tune of the Thames going out to sea, the river running as Raleigh could not. At his execution he asked to see the axe, and demanded it be done immediately. Afterward I heard his wife, now widow, kept her husband's head close at hand, embalming it for a bed in a velvet bag, the great pendulous weight of the past in her purse. When she removed it, the river was in her ears, and when she looked at his lips in her lap, his brow bowed like a bend in the Thames, his eyes still steaming like snow on the water. Any comments or suggestions for readings I should make in future episodes can be emailed to Human Voices Wake Us, the number one, at gmail.com. Links to each work used in this episode can be found in the episode description. If you enjoy Human Voices Wake Us, you can subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. The music here is Duke Ellington's Arabesque Cookie.